Hi folks, we want to welcome you to the adult Sunday school time here at the Kerbinsville Christian Church. And we're in lesson 13 today. But before we get right into our lesson, I want to make an announcement to you who are watching this. We're going to be reopening our services for in-person service starting the first Sunday in February, February the 7th. Service starts at 1045. We will be providing uh, children's church and nursery uh, as well. So we want to make you aware of that. You know, we've been locked down for a few weeks, actually since after Thanksgiving because of uh, the surge in COVID. But we've been keeping an eye on it and we feel that we can safely reopen with the protocols that we have for safety. So we just want you to be aware of what we're going to be doing here starting the first uh, Sunday in September. So I just want to start off with that announcement. So today we're going to get right into our Sunday school lesson. We are looking at 1 Kings chapter 22 verse 51 through 53 and then 2 Kings chapter 1 verse 1 through chapter 2 verse 25. And we're going to be focusing on King Hazaya, which is of the northern kingdom, and Elijah and Elisha. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to have them with me. We might be referring to a few passages as we go along. Uh, normally we don't because of the amount of material, but again, we're just doing a survey. And at this point, we are in First, Second Kings, Second Chronicles, talking about Israel's kings and prophets. So let's begin Let's look at the last few verses of 1 Kings, and we'll find out about Hosea. So what you're going to notice, first of all, is that in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat's reign as king of Judah, Isaiah became king over Israel. So Jehoshaphat was king for 17 years when he went up and made that alliance with Ahab, and they were fighting against the Syrians. And of course, because of that battle, when they were trying to take Ramah Gilead, of course, you remember, it was just a stray arrow that was shot by random by a Syrian archer. It struck Ahab, and he died that day. When he died, his son, Isaiah, Isaiah was the one who became king. Excuse me, I'm having difficulty pronouncing so that was in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat. Now, here's the thing we're going to see about this guy. Isaiah ruled as king over Israel for two years. So he's only going to rule two years. Now, that's interesting because remember, one of the things that Elijah told Ahab when he was confronting him about killing, having Naboth killed for his vineyard is that, every male in the household of Ahab would die. So here we have a son who is dying, and we're going to see another son take over after him later on, but he's only going to rule for two years. Well, what kind of rule did he have? Well, Scripture tells us here that he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked according to the ways of his father and mother. Now, it's interesting that they would point this out, add the mother here, because remember, the mother at this point is Jezebel, who, with Ahab, led 
Israel to basically rebel against God, kill the prophets of God, and embrace Baal worship. Now, it also says that Isaiah also walked according to the sins of Jeroboam. Remember Jeroboam all the way back? He's the one who took the ten tribes when they split off from the United Kingdom under Rehoboam and established the northern kingdom, which would be called Samaria later. Now, then that brings us to 2 Kings. Actually, what we want to see is one more item here, is that Ahaziah served Baal and provoked the Lord to anger. So he walked in his father and mother's way, and he served Baal. And that's going to come out in the very first thing that we see when we get to 2 Kings. So we're going to venture over to 2 Kings now. We're going to look at chapter 1. And the first section we're going to look at here is verses 1 to 18, where Isaiah comes into conflict with Elijah, the prophet of God. So to get the setting going, to help us to understand at what point this is taking place, the writer points out that Moab rebelled against Israel after Ahab's death. Now, what does it mean Moab rebelled? Weren't they their own nation? Yes, they were their own nation. But at this point, obviously Moab had been conquered by Ahab and became a vassal state, so to speak, where they were basically became the servants of Israel, providing resources and a tribute each year. Well, when Ahab dies, what usually happened with these vassal states whenever the kings die is they rebel. They decide to test the new leadership and see if they can get away from their servitude to Israel. And that's exactly what's going on here. But that's not what the point of the story is here. The point of the story actually comes just right after that in the next verse. Isaiah fell through the lattice in his upper room and was injured. So what do you mean he fell through the lattice? Well, it's obvious that he maybe is in a, in, in a palace, he has an upper room, and to get the airflow going, maybe they had a hole in the floor that was covered with lattice, which would allow for the flow of air. Well, somehow, Isaiah fell through that lattice down to the next floor, and he was injured, seriously injured. So here's what happens, because remember, they want to know what's going on. They want to know if they're going to recover and everything. So he sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub concerning if he would recover from his fall. In fact, the text tells you Beelzebub, the god of Ekron. Now, where's Ekron? Ekron is in Philistia. So he's sending messengers from Samaria over to along the coast to the Philistines to inquire of their god, Beelzebub, as to whether or not he's going to survive or recover from his fall. Isn't that interesting? Here's the god of the northern, excuse me, here's the king of the northern kingdom inquiring of a foreign god as to whether or not he is going to survive. That tells you this guy provoked the Lord to anger. Well, the story then shifts to our favorite prophet, my favorite prophet, Elijah. 
And so here's what we see. The angel of the Lord told Elijah to meet Hosea's messengers. Now again, I'm going to tell you that when we see the angel of the Lord in particular, when he is mentioned here in the Old Testament, that, folks, I believe very strongly, is the pre-incarnate Christ. How can you say that, George? Well, in other places, when they come in contact in the Scripture so far, when they've come in contact with the angel of the Lord, they will say, I have seen God. Woe is me, I've been in the presence of God. Okay, so this is the pre-incarnate Christ, the second person of the Trinity, and he's telling Elijah to go meet Hosea's messengers. Now, what's he supposed to do? He was to ask them if there was no God in Israel that they must inquire of Beelzebub. So here's the question. Elijah, I want you to go meet these messengers and ask them, is there no God in Israel anymore? That you've got to send messengers to go inquire of Beelzebub? That's a pretty good question here. So the Lord then stated that Hosiah shall not recover and will die. So the Lord's saying, look, you just go back to your master and you tell him you're not going to get off of that bed. You're not going to recover from this fall and you're going to die. So the messengers returned quickly. They returned and asked why they returned so quickly. So I mean, they just got off. Elijah meets them, asks the question. So guess what they do? They just turn right around and bring the message from the prophet back to the king. And they're like, hey, you just left. It, doesn't, it takes a lot longer to go to Philistia. Where, where, why are you here? Why are you back from Ekron so quickly? And of course, they tell them that they were met. So the messenger stated that they were met by a man who prophesied about Hosea's death. So they were met by a guy on the road who told them about Hosea's death. They obviously recognized that he was a prophet. So here's what happens, okay? The identity of the man was asked, and he was determined to be Elijah the Tishbite. So they basically say, well, who was this guy? And they describe him as, well, he was a hairy guy with a belt on, with a belt wrapped around his waist. So they're like, oh, that's Elijah the Tishbite. That's Elijah, who, by the way, the house of Ahab viewed Elijah as evil. Remember? An enemy. Remember, that's what Ahab said. Is this the enemy of Israel who's come to me? So now the story shifts. Isaiah decides that he's had enough. So guess what happens? He sent a captain with 50 men to command Elijah to come down. So he sent a captain. So that's in their structure of military. A captain was over 50 men. He sent this captain with his 50 men. I want you to go get Elijah and, and bring him back to me. It's not a good thing that's happening here. We've already seen how Ahab was with one prophet who, who prophesied his death, and that guy was thrown in prison. We never know what happened to him. Micaiah was his name. So here's what happens. This guy, the captain, shows up with his 50 men, and he tells Elijah that he needs to come down to the king, 
I mean, it's not a, an invitation. He's got 50 warriors there. So here's what Elijah does. Elijah stated that if he was a man of God, then let fire come down and consume them. Wow. If I'm a man of God, like you say, then let fire come down and consume you. And guess what? At that moment, fire came down and consumed the captain and the 50 men. Fire came down from heaven, wiped those guys out. Now, you and I would probably be like, whoa, I don't think I should go get Elijah. Well, folks, that's not where Isaiah is. So guess what he does? The king sent a second captain with 50 men to get Elijah. So he sends another guy, 50 men, you go get this guy. Same scenario happens. He goes up there, hey, I want you to come back with me. We're taking you to see the king. Well, here's what Elijah does. Again, Elijah made the same proclamation and fire fell and consumed the men. So here's a second group of guys with their captain. We're here to take you to the king. We mean business. Come on down. Hey, if I'm a man of God, then let fire fall. Fire falls. Second group is wiped out. Now, if you are rational in your thought, you would realize, I better not send any more men. I'm going to be short of them. This is not a normal prophet here. God is obviously protecting him. Something's going on here. I'm not going to do that. Well, guess what happens? The king sent a third captain with 50 men to get Elijah. A third captain, 50 men. I want you to go get him. What happened to the other two? Well, we don't really know. I'm going to send you now. Well, I think that captain was pretty smart because the text tells you that when the captain approached Elijah, he fell and begged for his life and his men as well. I kind of picture it in my mind. There's Elijah on this mountain. This guy's showing up with his 50. As he's showing up with his 50, he's looking around and he's seeing these burnt spots on the ground. Maybe some remains of the other people and he realizes I'm in a situation here. I better play this one wise. So he fell on the ground and begged for his life and his 50 men. Because he knows, if I don't do this right, I'm probably going to die. Well, the angel of the Lord told Elijah not to fear and to go down with the men. Now, it's... There's a couple things that point out that stick out to me here. Elijah, if you remember, James tells us, James chapter 5, was a man like you and I with passions like you and I. What, what does that mean? He was a man like us. So what, what's one of the things? Elijah's afraid. He's afraid. And so the angel of the Lord says, don't be afraid of these guys. You go down with them. Nothing's going to happen to you. And believe me, folks, when the word gets back that the other two, the other hundred men with their two captains were consumed by fire, I don't think anything's going to be happening to Elijah, do you? But the Lord told him to go down and not to fear. 
Well, Elijah went to Isaiah and proclaimed that he would die because he inquired of Beelzebub. Hey, nothing's changed in what you were told. You're going to die because you decided rather than going to the God of Israel and asking if he would recover, you decided to send messengers to Ekron, to the God of Ekron, Beelzebub, and inquire of a false God as to whether or not you will live. And so my pronouncement is, you're not going to recover. You're going to die, says the Lord. So Isaiah died as Elijah had proclaimed, and he left no heir. So the text very clearly tells you that when he died, he didn't have a son to pass on his kingship to. So there's no heir. So who would get it? Of course, who would get it would be his brother. His brother. So Jehoram, son of Ahab, became king during the second year of Jehoram, king of Judah. Okay, so just so you know, depending on what version of the Bible you use, it will either be Jehoram or Joram, depending on which text is recording it. They have the same name. This, the guy in the northern kingdom, Jehoram, becomes king of the northern kingdom while the king in the south in Judah, he has the same name as well, Jehoram. And that was in his second year. Now you're saying, wait a minute now, his second year, that means when he became king was around the same time that Isaiah became king. Yes, probably shortly after Isaiah became king, Jehoshaphat died. And his son, Jehoram, became king. Well, Jehoram, the son of Ahab, brother of Isaiah, becomes king in Israel during that second year. So then what happens is, which is typical in these books, either Kings or in Chronicles, but we're looking at 2 Kings, the writer lists where the record of Isaiah was recorded. So there would be some record, which is not a part of our text, which is not a part of the biblical text, of what was happening in Isaiah's reign during those two years, what were his accomplishments and so forth really not in particular something that we need to look at because we all we need to know is, is he did evil in the sight of the Lord and he provoked the Lord with his worship of Baal. And the key text that we're seeing here that is brought out to us is that he died because he decided to seek after foreign gods rather than seeking after the God of Israel. So now that brings us to chapter 2, and we're going to look at the whole issue of Elijah being taken. Now, what do you mean taken, George? I thought they tried to take him. No, no, it's a different taken. It's not being taken by soldiers. It's being taken by the Lord. A theological term would be translation. He would be translated. There's only been other one person that we've studied so far that has been translated, that is, been removed alive from the world, go to with the father, and that was Enoch. Remember in Genesis, Enoch walked with God, and he walked no more. Of course, the Lord took him. Well, we're going to talk about Elijah being translated. Now, there is another translation that will be yet in the future. What is that? Folks, it's called the rapture. 
when those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the church will be taken up to be with the Lord. We see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. We call it the rapture. But here we're going to look at Elijah being taken. And so let's focus on verses 1 through 11 of 2 Kings chapter 2. So what it starts off with then is it shifts from Isaiah, it shifts from Joram, it shifts to the prophet Elijah. So Elijah left with Elisha for Bethel after trying to encourage Elisha to remain behind. So what happens is, is, and I think this is a good picture of where the kind of person Elijah was. So Elijah knows that he's got, he's on his final time here in this world. And he knows that he's going to be taken, so here's what he does. He tells Elisha, I want you to stay behind. You stay behind in Bethel. You stay behind. I need to go to Bethel. And uh, Elisha says, no, I'm going with you. So guess what? They travel to Bethel. When they arrived in Bethel, the sons of the prophets informed Elisha that Elijah will be taken. Now, remember who the sons of the prophets are? This is kind of like a guild or a school. And, and it was basically a group of prophets who would be teaching the word of God to the people of the northern kingdom. We've seen them mentioned before here in Kings. And so these sons of prophets who are at Bethel, who are part of this guild, this school, tell, tell Elijah, look, don't you know that your master is to be taken? And of course, Elisha says, yes, don't speak of it. He doesn't want to spend time talking about it. It's, it's terrible enough for him. See, that's why Elijah is wanting Elisha to stay behind. He doesn't want him to experience the pain of departure. You're, what you're seeing here is, is that they have a very close relationship with each other. So Elisha told them that he knew the Lord, what the Lord was, that the Lord was going, what the Lord was doing, that the Lord was doing this and to speak of it no more. So again, Elijah wanted Elisha to remain in Bethel as he was going to go to Jericho. So I want you to remain in Bethel as we go to Jericho. Now, Jericho, even though that's to the east of Jerusalem, that was still in the northern kingdom. That was part of Ephraim. And remember, Ahab is the one who had commanded, allowed some guy to rebuild Jericho, even though there was a curse placed on it by Joshua. So Elijah is telling Elisha, I've got to go to Jericho. You stay behind. But Again, Elisha refuses to do that. He wants to go with Elijah. So when they arrived in Jericho, the sons of the prophets inform Elisha that Elijah will be taken. So there, again, there's people part of this guild or school who are there, and they say, don't you know that your master is going to be taken? And of course, the same response. And again, we see that Elijah wanted Elisha to remain in Jericho because he was being sent to the Jordan by the Lord, being sent to the Jordan River. So he's going to go further east from Jericho 
to the Jordan River because that's where he's going. And again, he's telling, he's telling Elisha, you stay behind. And of course, Elijah refuses. He wants to go with his master, with his mentor. They were followed at a distance by 50 men from the sons of the prophets. So 50 of these guys who are from this guild, they obviously must have been a big group of guys who followed the Lord. They decide to follow the two, but they're going to follow from a distance and see what's going to happen. When they reached the Jordan, Elijah struck the river with his mantle and it pardoned. The text tells you that he took his mantle, which would be the covering that he would cover himself with. He rolled it up and he struck the river with it and it parted. Last time it parted was when what? Israel crossed over the Jordan with Joshua on dry ground. Same thing's happening here. When they crossed over on dry land, Elijah asked Elisha to request what he wanted. So when they get over to the other side, Elijah looks at Elisha and says, go ahead and ask me what you want from me. Ask me what you want. I'll give it to you now. Elisha asked that a double portion of the spirit would be upon him. So Elisha looks at him and says, look, what I want, the same spirit that has empowered you in your ministry, the same spirit that has guided you, that has been with you throughout, I want a double portion of that spirit to be upon myself. Now, Elijah stated that if Elisha saw him being taken, he would re receive his request. Because he said, look, what you're asking is a hard thing. But if you see me being taken, you will receive this request of the double portion of the Spirit of God. So as they were speaking, here's what happens that's amazing. As they were speaking, a chariot of fire separated them, and Elijah ascended on a whirlwind. So here they are speaking, here comes a chariot, but it's on fire, probably with angelic beings. It separates the two of them to keep, get them apart. And Elijah then is taken up in a whirlwind. He ascends to heaven in a whirlwind. That's amazing, isn't it? When Elisha saw Elijah being taken, he cried out, and tore his clothes. Now why would he do that? Because this is his friend. This is his mentor. This is somebody he's close to. And this is the last time that he will see Elijah in that world. It's grief. When they tear their clothes, it's grief. And he cried out because the Lord had taken him. Now, here's what happens that's interesting, okay? Here's what happens. He took Elijah's mantle, which was left behind, and he went to stand by the Jordan. So, remember, the mantle that Elijah always wore, 
He wore it when he was on Mount Horeb. He covered himself when he was told to appear before the Lord. And the still small voice spoke to him and he went out to meet the Lord. That mantle is there. So he picks that mantle up and he goes over and he stands by the Jordan. And here's what happens. He cried out and asked, where was the Lord God of Elijah? And he struck the river with the mantle. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And he strikes the river with the mantle. And guess what? The river parted and Elisha crossed over. So just like when Elijah struck the river, it parted and they crossed over. Now Elijah is taken he has the same mantle. Where's the Lord God of Israel? He strikes the river. And guess what? The river parts and Elisha crosses over. Now, remember that request that he wanted a double portion? A double portion? Notice now what happens. The sons of the prophets proclaimed that the spirit of Elijah rested on Elisha. They recognize, because remember, they're observing from a distance. Now, they didn't cross over the Jordan, but they're watching the Jordan. Here they see Elisha coming back. He strikes the river, and he sees him. they see him crossing over, and they're like, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. They recognize that he has the same spirit now. Now, it's interesting. Scholars say, that if you count up the number of miraculous things and the powers of God and what he was doing that Elijah was involved with, when you go through 2 Kings and you count up the number of incidents that take place with Elisha, they are double the amount. Double the amount of miracles, double the amount of spectacular things God does through his prophet. Now, here's what happens. They came to Elisha and wanted to search for Elijah. This, this is crazy. These are the same guys who have been telling him, well, you know, of course, the Lord's going to take your master. So now they're like, well, let us go look for him. You know, maybe the Lord put him down somewhere. Let us go look for him. Now, Elisha knows better because he knows exactly what happened he knows exactly what took place, and he knows exactly who took Elijah. And there's no sense going and looking for him, so he doesn't want them to do it. Elisha refused them, but the men searched for three days and did not find him. I mean, seriously, they should have just listened to Elijah. They spent three days looking for Elijah, and they couldn't find him. Well, the text then tells us Really, the beginning part of Elisha's ministry. So we see it here in chapter 2, and we're going to reflect on it more next week when we get into our next lesson, lesson about Elisha. So the men of Jericho, obviously Elisha went back to Jericho. The men of Jericho came to Elisha to seek help with their water supply. Now, when you have a city, you've got to have a supply of water. And they obviously had some problems with their water supply. It was contaminated. It was not good. So they come to the prophet and seek help concerning their water supply. 
Elisha asked for a new bowl with salt in it. And then he went to the source of the water and cast the salt in the water source. So here's what I want you to do. Bring me a new bowl, so it's an unused bowl. I want you to put salt in it. He goes to the water source and he throws in the salt at the water source. After making a proclamation that the Lord had healed the water, the water was healed. So when he throws in the salt, he makes this proclamation that the Lord will heal the water, and that he has, the water was healed, and it says that it was healed to that day, whenever the writing of this text was. The waters were healed. So we see the first miracle through the ministry of Elisha. Now, Elisha then, remember, he's the prophet to the northern kingdom, so he's got to leave Jericho, which is in the southern part of that kingdom, and venture his way up to where he needs to go. So as he journeyed to Bethel, some young men mocked him. Now, I need to make a point here, because sometimes when you read this text, you're assuming when it says youths here, some of the texts will say youths, that we're talking about kids, preteens, even maybe even teenagers. That's not what it's talking about here when it says young men. Typically what they're referring to when we're talking about young men here is maybe somebody who's even in their 20s and 30s. The point of them being young men is, is that they haven't married yet. That's what it's referring to here. So some young men were mocking him. Some scholars believe that maybe they were somehow attached to, the, to, the, uh, to that shrine that was in Bethel that Jeroboam had set up, that golden calf. But they're mocking the prophet of the Lord. They're telling him to go up, old man, go up. They obviously had heard the story of Elisha being taken, and they're telling him to go up as well. Elisha turned and pronounced a curse on them for mocking the Lord and his servant. So they're mocking the servant of God, and they're mocking what God did, the miracle that God did in taking Elijah. So he pronounces a curse on them because they're mocking him, the prophet, but they're also mocking the Lord. They're blaspheming God. So here's what happens. Two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the young men. So while this is happening, he puts a curse on them. 42 of them are killed by two female bears that come out of the woods because they had mocked the prophet and the Lord. The text goes on and says that Elisha continued on to Samaria after going to Mount Carmel first. So Elisha is on his way up to Samaria, the capital, but he goes by way of going to Mount Carmel first. That brings us to the end of chapter 2, folks. And next week we're going to get into chapter 3, where we're going to see Jehoram now, the king of the northern kingdom, and Elisha. We're going to hear some more about the life of Elisha as we get into chapter 14.